0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW group void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football Social Daily, the Premier
2: League podcast. This is the award-winning Premier League podcast, Football Social Daily. Hit follow now on your favorite podcast platform, and that way you'll never miss a show. On today's episode, the doku is ticking towards the transfer windows closure. Manchester City have their man. But it's Tata to any deal for West Ham's Brazilian. And it turns out Big Rom isn't gone at Chelsea. Is there a chance he could salvage his Stamford Bridge stay? Plus, we'll be talking tweets. What's got social media in a spin this week? Welcome to FSD. My name's Niall and today Joel Tudor's with me. How you doing Joel?
1: I'm good. We were just basically just coming to terms with the fact that winter winter time is slowly upon us. We're seeing the (laughs) dark clouds, the dark evenings coming in while a certain Marley Anderson is slurping. a. don't even know what the local Greek beer is. What even is it?
2: (laughs) It's Mythos and then there's another one called Alpha as well. Mythos. Um, But they are both absolutely (laughs) shocking. Like the Greeks do a lot of stuff really well Maths, they were pretty good at that back in the day, weren't they? Weather, the food's philosophy. pretty good. Yeah, philosophy. Beer is not on the list. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, the Mediterranean countries are usually quite good with the drinks. To be honest, Percy, I'm not a massive beer drinker. I'm more of a, in the sun, it's got to be something a bit more refreshing. I know some listeners are agreeing with me here. You know, a bit of a Hugo Spritz, bit of a Limoncello, you know.
2: You have Limoncello as a shot, though. You can't just have it like a, a chaser of Limoncello. In the afternoon. After they
1: sip it for digestion. Apparently it's for digestion. In the UK everyone loves to just swig it. Well what else yeah. does everyone not swig here? We have our beer warm <laughs> in the UK
2: so that's normally how it goes. <laughs> flat, and, <laughs> flat and warm rather than fizzy and cold like everywhere else in the world. Anyway we're not here to talk about alcoholic drinks on the continent. We're here to talk about the latest transfer news and there's been a lot going on at Manchester City hasn't there Joel? They've agreed a deal for £55.5 million pounds for Jeremy Doku. He had his medical on Tuesday. He's a Belgian winger from Stodren in the French league, And, of course, with Riyad Mahrez leaving to go to the Saudi Arabian League, they've needed a replacement for him. And this is the lad they've turned to.
1: Yeah, and I think they've been crying out for someone of this profile ever since Riyad Mahrez has gone, to be honest. I did say, and I know they've basically cruised their way through the first part, the first two, three games but they do need someone different from the likes of Phil Foden, Grealish. They're all a similar mold, the ones who, you know, they don't have a burst of pace that can beat a man one-on-one. And I think after losing Riyad Mahrez, having Doku, I mean, I was just looking at his statistics. Uh, for 21, although he's still very, very raw, you can see just what kind of player he is when I say that he had the num- most number of take-ons completed in or 105. Had the most, the fifth most uh, take-ons actually attempted in Leisure. Uh, He's He's almost like a throwback winger. You know, the ones who actually try and beat their man one-on-one as if that is their sole reason to be a footballer pretty much and I do miss those types of wingers the ones who are just dynamic and get people up on their feet and I think Pep Guardiola has been pretty maintained on the fact that they do need something that's a different kind of outlet to win them a game or unlock a kind of game Um, and you know 55 million is a lot of money for someone who's very very raw But those statistics speak for themselves. And I think he just wanted a different kind of avenue to attack a game. And I think it's the perfect replacement for Riyad Mahrez, to be honest.
2: Do you know what? I've seen a
1: lot of people, Joel,
2: of Manchester City persuasion, look at some of the performances of Ebereche Eze of Crystal Palace and say, that's the guy we need. That's the guy we want in our team to replace Riyad Mahrez and cause problems off the left. He knows the Premier League. He's young. He's a homegrown talent. So that, of course, ticks another box. Yet Crystal Palace, according to some sources, want about 90 million quid for him. And Palace did something similar when Wilfred Zaha was interested in the move away. And you can understand why. When a player is so important to a team like Eza is to Crystal Palace, that they're going to try and price anyone out of a potential move. So they've turned to this player, Doku, for 55 million quid. They need to find the next generation of player because that era of Mares is obviously now gone. So they need to find someone who's young enough to be able to grow with the club. And maybe even succeed Pep Guardiola's tenure as manager as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. At 21, it just shows they're always going. I mean, Pep Guardiola and Manchester City in general, if there's one thing I can compliment them on, it's their recruitment. Because we've seen many clubs in the past. I mean, I'll even use my club as an example who, don't get me wrong, spend a lot of money. But money is only one factor. You need to have excellent recruitment as well to actually make that money work for you. And the fact that City have been doing this a long, long time ago, even when they were signing Yaya Toure, David Silva, Sergio Aguero, when no teams even were touching them or no teams were willing to pay the price that the clubs were willing to pay. And they've maintained that. And I think Jeremy Doku, it's the perfect time for him to go to a Guardiola team as well because he'll make him into a better, a way better player. I think now he's still rough around the edges in terms of always... I always remember Jack Grealish saying how he was almost petrified to lose the ball when he first came in because if we remember him at Aston Villa, he was almost given a free license to do whatever he wished in that final third. And I think Doku's going to get a bit of a culture shock coming in and thinking, I can just do whatever I want. I'm going to attack my fullback. If I lose the ball, I lose the ball because you know the ball is almost like a currency for Guardiola. If you lose it, then you lose everything. You can't get it back. So I do think it's a really... It's just a very interesting dynamic to add to his side, a different dimension, I think. It's going to be a really interesting signing.
2: Who do you think's? Been City's best signing this summer, or has it been the fact that they've managed to keep hold of someone like Bernardo Silva? Who I'm not sure if he has signed a new contract yet, but apparently there was a new deal on the table. And then Kyle Walker, even who was like nailed on to go to Bayern Munich, is still in the building with what a week to go until the end of the transfer window. So it looks like they're going to hang on to both of those players. So do you think that that's probably been the biggest success of the transfer window from a City perspective, or do you think it's someone they might have brought in?
1: Yeah, I think. When we've seen, for example, videos of Pep Guardiola meeting Kyle Walker in a restaurant in Manchester, for example, or him speaking so highly about Bernardo Silva, it's clear that he sees these two players, especially as specialists. I mean, Bern- Bernardo Silva, I can't think of a player in world football who is similar to him in terms of what he brings to a side. You know, he has such tenacity for a, I don't even know what height he is, what, five 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 six something like that, and yet he feels bigger because he's Puts himself around the pitch like a pit bull. And the way in which he unlocks defences as well, he's almost like a David Silva regent. And I think keeping those two, especially two long-term figures in the side was just so important. I don't know about you, but... I'd I'd actually agree with
2: you. I just think Kyle Walker, I think, would be a bigger loss to Manchester City because the amount of people, when they get interviewed as players and they're asked, who's the toughest defender you've come up against in the Premier League? They always say Kyle Walker. Because it's such a cliche, but he's absolutely rapid across the ground. He's very strong, positionally aware, which maybe he wasn't when he first came to Manchester City. But when you think about who Pep tried to sign at the start of his tenure at the Etihad to try and make Man City a dominant force, the first person he wanted was Kyle Walker from Spurs, straight away. Obviously, there was the Joe Hart situation, new goalkeeper. But in terms of outfield players, pretty much the first person he turned to was Kyle Walker. He was like, I want you. You're coming in. And I think that that's an indictment of just how good he is. And I think that he would have been a bigger loss to Man City. And he might still go, we don't know, than Bernardo Silva. But I totally agree with what you were saying about Bernardo Silva. I just think Walker will be harder to replace. Yeah,
1: and age is just the number, isn't it? 33, I think he is. And there's a reason why Bayern Munich want him as well, or wanted him. Because he's awesome in his position. It's crazy because even with age, he doesn't seem to slow down. And like you've said, great point, which is that a number of top wingers I think Marcus Rashford actually said the same thing which was I find it really difficult to play against him because you can have very fast fullbacks but when they're also physically strong and have a very strong stature and a very tall I mean that's almost like the perfect physicality for a fullback isn't it because usually they're quite small and nippy whereas Walker's very tall over six foot one of the fastest players in the league and I think Guardiola absolutely acknowledged that and that's why they've rewarded him with a with the new big contracts but i think yeah like i think the general consensus is retaining those vital players has been so important
2: well if doku's come in for manchester city lucas pacatar certainly won't be because that deal is off even though west ham and man city had agreed an 80 million pound fee according to reports it's now off the table because of the situation with an ongoing investigation into alleged betting breaches. We spoke on yesterday's podcast about Ivan Tony doing an interview for the first time since his eight-month ban. Lucas Paquitar is also involved in a similar situation, which we don't know the extent of, but he is due to be interviewed by the FA. It just shows, doesn't it, that things can change so quickly in football and he was a player that Manchester City were very keen on until last week when these allegations emerged.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting one to be honest. I mean, over the course of this summer, and it's happened previously in previous summers where City have not got the man that they've wanted, Alexis Sanchez, Harry Maguire, they're not scared of being priced out but on this occasion this was one that was easily attainable obviously having agreed a fee with West Ham and I don't think they could have foreseen this even happening I don't think anyone foresaw what was about to happen with this but it's interesting because you know they went for Jude Bellingham didn't pull off went for uh, Declan Rice weren't prepared to go to the extent to which Arsenal were prepared to go to De Bruyne's out they've lost Gundogan so it's almost like they're on their fifth strike in terms of midfield, in terms of who they actually want because I'm trying to think of who they could go as an alternative because they clearly have a big amount reserved for a midfielder to fill Gundogan's place. The only one I could think of right now is Gabri Vega from Celta Vigo and his move is literally just about to collapse. Um, apparently he was meant to be going to Napoli and something's arisen there. But I think the dream person I could think of to just slot in City's midfield is either Frankie De Jong or Joshua Kimmich, but those two are just, they're unattainable, it's like us are trying to get Margot Robbie, it's just not <laughs> happening is it?
2: I'd never thought I'd um, hear Margot Robbie mentioned on Football Social Daily when Marley isn't here but somehow it's happened you're bringing him here in spirit even though he's on the beach somewhere in Greece, with his wife I might add, not with Margot Robbie uh, we're going to move on now on Football Social Daily because next we're going to talk about Romelu Lukaku He's still at Chelsea. We thought for sure that he would be leaving this chancer window, but there's only a week left and he's still at Stamford Bridge. Pochettino isn't going to play him, is he? We'll talk about it after this.
0: We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth.
2: Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. I'm Niall. Joel's with me. And we want to talk about Romelu Lukaku. And he's a player we've spoken about numerous times on this show over the last two years, really. He re-signed for Chelsea for £95 million and it was a disaster. He completely flopped at Stamford Bridge. He ended up back on loan at Internazionale in Serie A. He's not gone back. He's still at Chelsea, still under contract... But the time is ticking down, Joel.
1: You know, I've never seen a situation where a player has gone from absolute hero to absolute zero in the space of two years. Because I remember him being at Inter Milan and after he won the Scudetto for them, him and Lautaro Martinez pretty much were like Batman and Robin. During that season, mm. brought back the Scudetto after a decade. He had morals of him all around Milan, next to Zlatan Ibrahimovic, of course, on the opposite side, and he was absolutely loved. Almost for the first time at a club, maybe aside from Everton, he was absolutely loved at a club, and he also felt at home there. And that's why I can't understand why recently he's completely cut ties and jeopardized that relationship with the Milanistas by flirting with Juve. Which their fans also don't want him either. They've also been protest outside Juventus's uh, Alianza Arena of them not wanting him in the ground. Why,
2: though? Why, why does nobody want him? He doesn't want to stay at Chelsea. That's a decision he's made himself. This is a guy who, even though he's flopped at Chelsea, has scored goals pretty much everywhere else he's been.
1: It's strange. That is, again, Inter Milan did want him. This is the thing. They were welcoming him back with open arms. They were still negotiating a fee, and then he suddenly speaks to their rivals, Juve, and then they pulled the plug completely. And now we're in a situation where Juve are only willing to take him if Chelsea part with 40 million euros, if they're to allow uh, Vlahovic to go in the opposite direction. And now he's training away from the training pitch at Chelsea. Pochettino doesn't want anything to do with him in the team. And suddenly he's got nowhere to go. And I think the only way he's going out is if he goes to Saudi, to be honest. I genuinely think that's the only alternative for him. He's basically shot himself in the foot this summer. And it's a shame because he was really good at Milan. And he was perfect, especially last season, helping them get to the Champions League final. And now, I, I mean, did did you, did you even expect? Because you know, when he went for a hundred million, did we not all say, "This doesn't feel like it's going to be a res, you know, a resurrection of Lukaku"? Because every time he makes these big money moves to England, he just seems to not, he just seems to not stay. He always seems to not. It come with baggage, if that makes sense.
2: Well, I could easily sit here, Joel, and say that. I said that he was going to be a flop and it was never going to work out because I don't think that anyone's going to scroll back two and a half years and and try and find what I actually said. But if I'm totally honest, I think I said that it would work because he knew Chelsea, having played there before, uh, ended up going on loan to West Brom, scored a load of goals. Everton scored a load of goals, signed there permanently. His great record at Everton got him a move to Manchester United. And we've spoken about this before. His record at Manchester United was very good, actually. One in two games, I think, over the course of his career. But the games he scored in, they weren't Champions League knockout games. They weren't games against the big six Premier League sides. They weren't big derby matches. So I think that was the situation with Lukaku. It was, he's a good goal scorer, but he wasn't quite what Manchester United needed. But for the Chelsea situation, he had just come off the back of winning the Scudetto with Inter Milan Chelsea were desperate for a striker they absolutely needed a centre forward you know and we were talking about whether Werner and Havertz were the right fit for them up front I thought it would work I'll be totally honest I thought it would work because this guy is a goal machine Romelu Lukaku scores goals
1: everyone forgets just how high his stock was though when they bought him he was on the back of a 20 plus goal season at Inter. He was one of the best strikers in the world, if not the best striker in the world. So it's very easy now to say oh he was never going to work because we I actually I remember myself thinking for 97 million they're obviously clearly seeing a different kind of Lukaku coming back. And then within about a few months, he was all, he was flirting to go back to Italy because of the situation with uh, Thomas Tuchel and himself. It's just he just seems to never settle anywhere, and when he does settle, he unsettles himself. I mean, if you've got murals painted around all in Milan, why would you try and cut ties with that city? It makes no sense to me. But and I don't even think Chelsea need him either. This is the issue, and I think Lukaku going to find himself really quickly being pushed to the Saudi. At the Saudi league because he has an offer on the table there which he's been rejected. Well, it's the
2: only place that will take him clearly by the sound yeah, of
1: it. Yeah, it's a shame to be honest because he's like you've said, he, wherever he goes he scores and he almost put to bed that agenda that everyone had around him where everyone thought he couldn't win titles for clubs. He put it to bed pretty quickly at Inter and now we find himself in the situation again where Chelsea can't even buy uh, can't even pay someone to take him so it's it's a difficult situation but again it's almost like he's He's found his way where he is because of himself.
2: What do you think of the fact that he's 30 now? And we kind of joked last week on Football Social Daily that, you know, 30 years old, all of a sudden you're on the, the decline in terms of your career. Harry Kane, he's 30. He's gone to Bayern Munich and it was very much it's now or never for Harry Kane. If he's going to get a big move and win something, it has to be now. Lukaku's 30. He's not going to become a prized asset for anyone now. I think that time's gone, don't you think?
1: Yeah, he's, he's losing the leverage I think when strike, I think any player in general, I know, thirty is not some kind of number where as soon as you hit the thirty midnight, suddenly your limbs start deteriorating, you're hearing cracks in your hips, and <laughs> I don't think it's like as extreme as that. But on paper, clubs look at. I'll have to ask Marley see if that's. That's <laughs> true. And if not. only he was here, the only odd thirty odd year old who we could find. Um, it's not like as extreme as that, but clubs look at the situation and think, well. We're putting a lot of money into this person who is an asset, pretty much. And they typically end up declining quite quickly post-30, if you're not top, top level. But again, and I remain, it's his own fault. He could have remained at Inter Milan, and he wanted to flirt with Juve. Juve, I know, two big Italian clubs, it must be nice. But he had it really good at Inter, and he's only only got himself to blame, I think. Do you think if he doesn't go to Saudi Arabia and he stays at
2: Chelsea, is he just going to rot, or...? is there going to become a point where he's just going to want to play football? So he might try and force a loan move, but then again, he can't do that until January. So is he going to want to sit for four or five months without a club or is Poch just going to say, right, we've got a place for you. Let's get you in the team somehow, because there's not even, it's not even like there's European football for Chelsea to worry about this season. It's not like there's the occasional Europa League group game that he might get a chance to play in to get some minutes. It's, very much league or nothing.
1: Hundred percent that. I mean, their squad's already big enough as it is. It's like an NFL squad with the amount of players that they've got. They might. I'm sure. I'm sure they have to have two changing rooms at the moment. It's gone insane. And I don't think he's a Pochettino striker. This is the main issue. I thought Jackson played really well at the weekend. Um, they've got a number of options that they could play there. Even we forget about Armando Broja, who's still on his way back from injury. I I think he's a great great striker. I think there's a definitely potential in him. And Lukaku might find himself as third, fourth choice if he stays there. So it is, even Pochettino said it's not on Chelsea's side anymore. They've done everything they can. It's more so up to Lukaku to decide what he wants to do. Because Chelsea are not willing to negotiate with uh, Juve at the current terms. And I think Saudi's always going to be an option. So we'll have to wait and see on this one. But it's a shame because two years ago, he really did have the world at his feet in terms of goals, uh, the amount of praise he's been receiving, and now... You know Chelsea can't give him away
2: well Romelu Lukaku is still a Chelsea player somehow I wonder if we're sat here in a week's time on Football Social Daily saying the same thing that he remains at Stamford Bridge but that's it for the transfer talk on today's episode next up we're going to take a look at tweets that have been doing the rounds in the world of football and seeing what's exactly causing a bit of a stir online we'll do it after this (laughs) Welcome back, final part of today's Football Social Daily. My name's Niall, I've got Joel alongside me and we've spoken about Manchester City's transfer business. We've spoken about the Romelu Lukaku conundrum, if you can call it that. And now, Joel, we're going to take a look at some of the best of social media from this week, aren't we?
1: Yeah, because I was thinking, you know, we're called Football Social Daily and I don't recall us ever going through a social segment which is you know where, where we live pretty much i mean we are a social being aren't we it's we like too to... late
2: to change our name joel <laughs> it's too late <laughs> and
1: i feel like we're going to social beverage daily at this rate but um i've been doing a little bit of scouring and i know all of us who live on twitter or on the social media sphere we do tend to find a little tweet or a little post from someone which really does get on our nerves so i've collected a little collection I'm gonna go through together, and hopefully everyone listening as well. I can irritate them as well because it's gonna be a it's gonna be an interesting riser. So let's hop on to the first one. So let's let's start with the username. So it's by Akoto Corante, and he says Neymar is closer to Ronaldo than Ronaldo is to Lionel Messi. What do we think of that?
2: I can't agree with that, but then again, it's this thing in football, isn't it? Everyone's fascinated with comparing people. I can't. Get on board with these sorts of comparisons. I think it's controversial. I think Neymar is an incredible player, and I think actually is underappreciated at times because he's often in the line, uh, often in the the shadow of of Messi and Ronaldo. Not in in a negative way, just generally because those two are such superstars. I mean, what are we basing this off, Joel? That's the point. What's what's this guy basing it off? Is he basing it off of goals and assists? Because in that case... The
1: only only thing I can think of now is location because Neymar's in Saudi with Ronaldo. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only thing I can think of because, you know, Lionel Messi... I think some people put Lionel Messi so far on a pedestal ahead of Ronaldo that they almost put Ronaldo even closer towards the rest of the pack. But Neymar, if you look at his statistics, and don't get me wrong, Neymar is probably probably the best Brazilian player, let's say, I've ever seen. In terms of raw ability, him at Barcelona, I think, was just insane. I know a lot of people say R9, oh, and I can tell Nal's screaming R9. Oh, I do think Neymar is just... Everyone forgets, you know, the recency of him, the PSG move, I think it really killed his aura. Hmm. But Let's just end it with the fact that Ronaldo Messi, they're on their own planet Yeah, and everyone else is trying to catch them.
2: I'd agree with that. And just on Neymar, before we move on to the next one, it's very rare that you hear about this Brazilian wonder kid before he moves to Europe because there are so many good teams in Brazil that produce good players. But we were all hearing about Neymar back in 2011, 2012, when there wasn't as much social media about how good this kid from Santos was called Neymar Junior and everyone needs to watch out for him and the next thing you know he's being bought by Barcelona who in 2011-2012 were the best team on the planet bar none so you're talking about a top player here when you start hearing about someone being that good coming out of Brazil at that time as well when there was less YouTube clips there was less social media there was less analysis online for him to then be signed by the best team at that point I think that says a lot doesn't it?
1: Let's move on to the next one because Guardiola's got a little bit to do with this. When I tell you the username, I think you're probably going to know what the actual tweet is going to be. And it's from Real Talk Man City. And they say Pep Guardiola is the greatest manager of all time. (laughs) His influence to his fellow colleagues and the trophies that he's won and his ideas have revolutionized football. I personally have a little problem with it. A little problem with it and that's because don't get me wrong that barcelona team was insane probably one of the best i've ever seen the the most disruptive team i would say let's say it's almost like the steve jobs bringing Mm. out the iphone because nobody in world football knew how to stop it for years Apart from when they met Jose Marino and his Inter Milan team, and it kind of started to unravel slightly, but it kind of progressed on. The thing with it, the thing with Guardiola is every single club he's been at, he's had ridiculous amounts of just resources at his disposal. Whether it's been at Barcelona, where he had this incredible academy coming through, but you know Busquets, Iniesta, Xavi, Messi. He goes to Bayern. He has Robin, Ribery, Xavi, Alonso. Philip Lahm Joshua Kimmich coming through and he still didn't win the Champions League there and then at Manchester City you know he's got endless amounts of resources they can choose who they want in world football to bring in this doesn't take away from his football it doesn't take away at all from the way they play but I'd love to have seen him at say Tottenham you know where they haven't got endless amounts of resources they've got a few good players but could he win because we all remember when he first took over at City he needed to clear out pretty much the whole squad to then be able to play the football that he wanted to play. I don't know if he's too posh for poor clubs because they can't play the football that he wants to play. Don't know if you agree with that.
2: Well, I think we need to split this again. This is me sitting on the fence. I'm going to have to pull the splinters out of my ass in a minute because I do like a bit of a fence sit in these sorts of debates because there were some incredible managers back in the day like I'm not saying Brian Clough is the greatest manager of all time, but you know, he's someone who is revered on the continent people like Renus michels at ajax who won loads of titles in the dutch league and maybe was kind of the precursor to the whole johan Cruyff stuff which we know pep guardiola takes inspiration from i do think that the whole idea that pep guardiola has had this bottomless pit of resources is a fair argument but at the same time comparatively, Sir Alex Ferguson spent a lot of money at Manchester United and would often buy the best players in the Premier League to boost his squad. And that's not to say that Pep Guardiola hasn't done the same. I just think that to look at one and say Pep spends all this money and then pretend that Sir Alex Ferguson hasn't spent a lot of money, I think would be foolish to do that because he has. But also you need to give Sir Alex Ferguson credit for bringing through the youngsters in the academy, something which Pep Guardiola did at Barcelona but hasn't done as much Manchester City. We're now just starting to see that over the course of time. Also, Ferguson bought Cantona for a million quid. I mean, even back then, that was an absolute bargain. Look what he did for the club. Unbelievable football player. Look at Pep Guardiola, who's transformed some of the most average players in his squad to some of the most important. You know, like Fabian Delft won a league playing at left back. He's a central midfield player. Zinchenko did the same thing. So, I think it's hard to say who's the greatest manager of all time. I'm going to say Ferguson, though, if I have to choose. And the reason why is because Pep's still managing. And in think until he finishes his career, you can't make a call. I don't think it's fair.
1: I was going to say, if I speak, I'm in big trouble when it came to your point on Ferguson's spending. Because I'll leave it on this point. Ferguson had to replace Cristiano Ronaldo with Gabriel Obertan and Michael Owen, so we'll move swiftly on.
2: <laughs> did he not choose to do that? <laughs> well, the Glazers
1: definitely did. I found a little funny one. We won't spend too much time on this one, but it actually just made me laugh because we can just go into the archives mm-hmm. of... You'll see what I mean in a minute. And it was by the, the Markley boy, and he said... This one's quite funny. The Barcelona wouldn't have a Champions League if VAR was introduced in the 90s. And I know that this was to rile up all of the Real Madrid fans because if you remember, the one game that just clicks into mine straight away is Didier Drogba just looking at the camera dead in the eye saying this is a disgrace this is a disgrace when the handball happened in that Champions League semi-final and suddenly it was the catapult to Barcelona's pretty much dynasty I remember watching
2: that in the front room actually because the Champions League used to be on ITV do you remember that back in the day yeah gosh and
1: um Clyde Tilsley.
2: I remember him looking down the camera at Didier Drogba going that's a f- disgrace I remember my mum being sat there being like he can't do that. He can't swear down the camera. He should be sent off. I was like, mum, the game's finished. He can't be sent off. It's, it's over. Um, but that was, that was iconic years of the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea to win the Champions League in 2012 when they did with the team they had compared to how they came up short in 2008 and then the subsequent years around that is baffling, really, when you think about it. And it just shows what the Champions League is all about you know you get teams because it's a knockout tournament that maybe aren't as deserving winning it one year um, and others that are deserving getting knocked out in the group stages or in the knockout stages whatever you want to say like how, how does a team with Raul Mireles and Ryan Bertrand and Solomon Kalou how does that win the Champions League but yet yeah, a team with all-stars in it like Chelsea had before that isn't able to get the job done. I always
1: remember, I always remember when um I always remember when Van Percy got sent off at the camp now when he didn't hear the whistle and he kicked the ball away and then the referee sent him off almost for descent. And I think that just that just triggered off something very, very strange at Barcelona whenever you played them, but I don't want to get into too much trouble. This was a really interesting point actually, which was by losers FC and he said Pure strikers should never be in the goat debate as they are literally nothing without their wingers and midfielders. And when I was thinking about it, it is literally the philosophical point of what came first, the chicken or the egg. (laughs) Because you need your wingers to actually feed your strikers, but you also need your strikers to actually put the ball in the net. And I've witnessed my team, Manchester United, have vowed as... Marley Anderson calls him without cart horse leading the line and I realised strikers are a rare breed strikers you can score are like the white rhino they're endangered you cannot find them and you have to pay a big fee to actually get them so for me I think that's an absolute nonsense point
2: alright well give me your top 10 all time Manchester United players
1: in no particular order Cristiano Ronaldo goal scorer. Wayne Rooney Rude Van Isleroel. goal
2: scorer Keep going.
1: Paul Scholes, Roy Keane, Dennis Law, Eric Cantona. Yeah. You get, you get the drift. Yeah, we know the consensus. Most of
2: them are goal scorers, right? Right. So scoring goals is the hardest thing to do in the game.
1: Exactly that. We saw. We literally mentioned it. Chelsea bought Romelu Lukaku to score goals. And he didn't score goals.
2: <laughs> I think it's a funny thing to say, really. Because I feel like you can
1: still have average defenders, but if your front three, I always think of, for, for example, Benzema, Ronaldo and Bale. If your front three can bail you out of trouble every game and win you trophies, it almost gets forgotten about how poor the team behind you actually is. But yeah, I think it's an absolute nonsense point. Actually I'm going to leave with a little quick one a yes or no after Roy Hodgson started to get a little bit argy bargy this is another one Roy Hodgson would outbox Arsene Wenger yes or no
2: 100% it's not even (laughs) close like Roy Hodgson he doesn't look like he's hard, but he would absolutely snap Arsene Wenger like a twig (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he would fold him up like an accordion trust me oh, like origami tell- like a piece of paper Roy Hodgson's
1: got a haymaker in that right hand I'm just going to yeah, leave Hodgson, it Hodgson you that. know he's tough <laughs> streets of to South London well we'll leave it on that fighting talk for now but if you do believe that Arsene Wenger could put up a little bit of a fight against Roy Hodgson or if you do in fact believe that Southampton are the biggest club on the South Coast then do go and tweet us all of our links are in the description for our Telegram Instagram and Twitter and we'll see you next time for another episode of Football Social Daily
2: Football Social Daily is a voice work Sport production for the Sport Social Podcast Network